From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, November 29th. The era of large-scale uranium mining around Moab is over for now. But there is still a market for the ore on a smaller scale. Justin Higginbottom speaks with modern-day prospectors about who's buying their radioactive wares. Are you looking to buy some uranium? Well, I know a guy. Here's Zach Slozuski in a video on his company's website. He's sifting through rocks just off the 191. He finds one he likes, brings it closer to an instrument that kind of looks like a microphone. It's a Geiger counter measuring radiation. And that sound means a jackpot. It's pretty striking in how it looks. It's usually pretty neon yellow bands mixed in with really striking blacks and browns. Uh, sometimes if you get really lucky, there could be fluorescent greens. And then you have the second characteristic of it also being radioactive. Slazuski works for United Nuclear out of Oregon. They sell science materials like chemicals and magnets. They also sell uranium ore. And there's a surprising number of people that buy it, like collectors. But I often tell people, you know, put it on like a bookshelf or a mantle. You don't want to put it on an end table right next to where everyone's sitting on the couch or your nightstand next to where you sleep. That could potentially expose you to long-term exposure. The ore is radioactive. But he says it's not that dangerous, if handled correctly. You just have to properly shield it, have it at a certain distance, and make sure you're not going to tape it to your forehead. Kind of common sense stuff like that. The analogy I draw is it's kind of like a kitchen knife set. You know, a kitchen knife set can be perfectly safe, or it could be the most dangerous thing in the home, depending on how you respect it and treat it. Slozuski says more things are radioactive than you might realize, especially here in Moab. Just the, the universe itself, or if you sleep next to, if you have a wife at home, you know, a body, those emit radiation, you know, smoke detectors in your home, bananas. You know, there's a lot of it around you that people don't realize. United Nuclear was started around the time of 9-11. The company was once busted for selling chemicals suspected of being used to make illegal fireworks. But now, besides collectors, founder Bob Lazar says a steady customer is the government. We sell it to various police and fire departments across the country and Homeland Security and even the FBI buys some. Lazar says authorities use the ore as a training tool, teaching officers how to detect radiation. He says one type of customer they don't get are nuclear bomb makers. That's so ridiculous. It's, it's beyond words. Look at how it was done in the past. You need factories the size of cities and entire power plants to run the separation facilities. I mean, you need billions of dollars to separate out the tiny amount of fissionable uranium from the ore. Other than the business side, Lazar likes exploring the desert for uranium. His colleague or him make the 15-hour drive to Moab every couple years and haul away a few five-gallon buckets of material. It's actually really fun collecting it. They look at old maps to find tailings, but say they never enter the mines. You don't need much when hunting for uranium. Basically a Geiger counter, and that's pretty much about it. Yeah, that's right. And probably a good pair of hiking boots too. That's always helpful. Yeah, it's like hiking where you make money. You know, it's <laughs> what's not to like about that, you know? That's Slozuski again. He also has a message for anyone in the area holding suspicious looking rocks. If anyone listening does have anything radioactive in their house or anything they suspect to be radioactive in their house, even if you're not interested in buying anything from us or haven't worked with us before, don't hesitate to reach out. We're always here to help. And a lot of the time, people are fearful just because they don't know what they're working with. So, and a lot of the time, we can alleviate those fears. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News.
Drought has been in the headlines a lot this year, and climate change threatens to further shrink water supplies in the Colorado River Basin. But what makes a drought a drought? KUNC's Alex Hager spoke with two scientists who track the numbers that define dryness, and they had some stark warnings about where they're heading. When it's Brad Udall's turn to tell people how bad the drought is, the mood is rarely a good one. That's been the case since 2003 when he first started talking about climate change in the Colorado River Basin. I mostly got a lot of dirty looks. And since that time, I've started calling myself the skunk in the room. That's from a talk he gave at the law school in Boulder earlier this year. Udall is one of the region's foremost experts on water and the climate. And when I spoke with him, his assessment on where things stand is pretty bleak. I mean, you cannot look at these and not be concerned. Um, And, you know, the climate models tell us this is going to get worse. Um, There's every reason to believe it's going to get worse. It's gotten worse since the year 2000. Uh, The spooky thing is it seems to be getting worse at a faster rate. In terms of duration, uh, it's it's not too many years from being probably equal to the worst drought in terms of, you know, like a 25-year period. That's Connie Woodhouse, who studies the history of climate at the University of Arizona. By looking at tree rings, she's able to learn about other dry stretches over the course of the centuries. And the thing that makes this one different... The factor that pushes this drought beyond the normal ebb and flow of the climate, it's the heat. That's different than our long droughts that we're seeing in the past. Um, Even though some of them were during warmer periods, they were not uh, as warm as as the temperatures that we're seeing today. When it comes to tracking drought, Brad Udall highlights four metrics, temperature, but also soil moisture, precipitation, and the amount of water in rivers and creeks. Right now, all of those indicators are heading in the wrong direction, and they're connected. I think the thing that leads the way here are these higher temperatures. I mean, that pretty clearly to me is the sort of proximate cause of all of these problems. And of course, those higher temperatures derive from greenhouse gas emissions by humans. So how hot is it? In the 21st century, average temperatures in the upper Colorado River Basin are more than two degrees warmer than the last century's average. And one of the big problems caused by that hot air, it dries out the soil, and that creates a feedback loop. When there's moisture in the soil and the sun beats down on that soil, that solar energy actually goes into evaporating water, which doesn't raise the temperature of the surface of the earth. But once the soil moisture is gone, that same solar energy then warms the surface of the earth in a really profound way. Which in turn heats the earth, which dries out the soil, which heats up the air, and you get where this is going. Another problem? Dry soil is also thirsty. A recent study of soil moisture in the West showed that now is the second driest it's been in the last 1,200 years. When spring comes the next year and that snow goes to melt off, rather than running off into our rivers and creeks, it fills that soil moisture depletion that occurred the previous year. Last year, snowpack in the upper parts of the basin was at 90% of average. But because a whole lot of dry soil stood between the snow and the rivers, we only saw 30% of average runoff. 
And on the whole, rain and snowfall totals in the region have been steadily dipping for decades. Connie Woodhouse says that all combines to make this drought a special one. And then you add warming. Um, We're seeing things that are outside the range of what we've seen in the past, just because of that warming element. Brad Udall says some factors of human-caused climate change are not reversible, although it's within our technological capability to turn others around. But disagreements over policy and the very facts of climate change are standing in the way. Man, if we could get ordered and and centered and focused on solving this problem, we could solve it. That I know, but it's like trying to fight the Germans in World War II where half the army says, oh, they're not, they're our friends, they're not our enemy. That won't work with the threat of this size. And if we stay on this course, Udall says river flows in the Colorado River Basin could go down another 10 to 15 percent by the middle of the century. And at the same time, the number of people that rely on it for drinking and irrigation keeps going up. I'm Alex Hager. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. The federal government is looking for novel solutions to combat climate change, including from Native American tribes. As the Mountain West News Bureau's Nate Hedgie reports, fossil fuel development was at the center of a recent congressional hearing. A handful of tribes in our region rely on oil, gas, or coal development as a big source of income and jobs. They include the Southern Ute in Colorado. Melvin Baker is that tribe's chairman. He told lawmakers on the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis that he aimed for a holistic approach to climate change, one that includes fossil fuels. And that's why the Southern Ute are considering building one of the nation's first net-zero power plants. It would run on natural gas and use new technology to capture 97% of carbon dioxide. The project is truly an innovative way to supply affordable baseload power to the grid while uh, providing solutions to climate change. Committee Republicans showed support for the idea, but California Democrat Jared Hoffman was unconvinced that storing carbon dioxide actually works. No one's yet been able to figure out a way to safely and reliably store it so that it doesn't get into the atmosphere. There's just reason for skepticism. The tribe will make its final decision on building the plant next year. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Nate Hedgie. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, November 29th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.